0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of a series called Rooted in Christ by Pastor Daniel White. Now let's prepare our hearts as Pastor White brings forth God's truth from his word today. Luke chapter 6. A few weeks
1: ago I came across an article that was written back in May of 2012. Now, doesn't seem like 2012 was too long ago but this article was written and I found it in Time Magazine now I'm not gonna preach from Time Magazine today but this article was written by a man by the name by the of Joel Stein, of Joel Stein. And I'm, sure, I'm he's sure he's not, not a believer, believer. He, usually he usually writes for the Los Angeles, Angeles Times, Times. He's, he's a columnist for Los Angeles Times, Los Angeles Angeles Times. Times. And. I don't know if you you can see see this. This 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 is the front front page of the the Time Time magazine. magazine. Can you read read it from from there? there? (laughs) Okay. It says the me, me, me generation. Millennials are lazy, entitled narcissists who still live with their parents. I'll read a little bit more from this article in just a minute. But I want to ask you a question. Do you think we have all been influenced by the millennial generation? By this me, me, me generation? Some of you may be there saying, well, who's a millennial? What is the millennial generation? How old are these individuals? Well, there's a little bit of difference in what some people say the millennial generation is. Some say it's between 22 years of age and 37 years of age, others say it's those between 18 years of age and 36 years of age, but somewhere right in there we call that the millennial generation. Now if you're a part of the millennial generation, let's say you're 18 to 37, would you please stand? Keep standing. Joel Stein goes on to say, I'm about to do what old people have done throughout history, call those younger than me lazy, entitled, selfish, and shallow. But I have studies, I have statistics. Unlike my parents and my grandparents and my great-grandparents, I have proof. This generation is the most immoral, greedy, prideful, indulgent, slothful, ungrateful, self-promoting, materialistic, irreverent, rebellious, violent, narcissistic, socialistic, handout generation ever to exist in America. You millennials may sit down. So much for being encouraged when you came to church today. (laughs) I read this last night to a couple millennials that were at our house. And this is what they said. He's absolutely right. That's really sad. It really breaks my heart. And it really concerns me. And we see this being played out before us every day. In the Brent Kavanaugh hearings, we've seen this. What a circus. Over the past three weeks. As this, what I just quoted to you from Joel Stein is being played out. The rebellion as was spoken about in Sunday school class today. The in your face protest the screaming and the yelling at our public officials. How did we ever get to this state in America? How does God want us to live our lives? Luke chapter 6, are you there? Say amen. amen. I'm going to begin with verse 27. The teachings of Christ. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto them that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. And to him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that ask of thee, and to him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would, that men should do to you the golden rule, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. But if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much. But love your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be called the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Judge not, and ye shall not be judged. Condemn not, and ye shall not be condemned. Forgive, and ye shall be forgiven." Give and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would bless the preaching of your word today. And I think if we were all honest with ourselves, this millennial generation, this me generation has affected all of us profoundly. Lord we pray that as the children of God we would not be influenced by this evil present world. In Jesus name we pray, amen. I don't know about you, I love prophecy, many of you have set through my teachings on Prophecy, and we've gone through that a couple times here at Fellowship. But I think that most of you who have any biblical knowledge at all would have to confess that the coming of our Lord draweth nigh. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 begins this way. This know, you need to know this. Church, you need to know this and understand this. This know also that in the last days, the days just prior to the return of our Lord, perilous times shall come. Very troubling times. Is there anyone here that's not troubled about the times that we find ourselves in? Perilous times shall come. And then it says this. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, the millennial generation, the me, me, me generation. And then he says, they'll be covetous, they'll be boasters, they'll be proud and blasphemers and disobedient to parents. And he has a whole list, really describes the millennial generation. And then he says something very interesting in verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You know why he tells us to turn away from it? Because obviously we can be influenced by it. Jesus was asked a question as he sat on Mount Olives looking over the Temple Mount. The disciples said, what shall be the signs of thy coming and the end of the world, and Jesus gives 10 signs. But the first sign that he mentioned was this, iniquity shall abound, and the love of many shall wax cold. That is the age in which we now presently live. Iniquity abounds everywhere that you look, and the love that we ought to have for God has grown exceedingly cold. Paul was right. Men shall be lovers of their own selves just prior to the return of our Lord. I'm telling you what, I'm excited to hear the trumpet sound. I'm expecting that any day it's going to blow. I don't know how many of you here follow research. I do like reading Barna Research. They're a Christian organization that I think does a really good job at keeping us up to date of what's going on. Because you know what? I don't want to to even be out there in this world. I'm so thankful that you pay me that I don't have to be a part of this old filthy world that some of you men have to be in every day. In 2017, Barna came out with some research. You know what really spoke to me was that this is pretty much indicative of our church. I say the church is a reflection of the pastor. Aaron and I had a chance to fish a little bit together. We talked about some of these things. In <clears throat> just a short time, Aaron has been married to my daughter. I wish it was shorter, but the time... some <laughs> time he went and stole the heart of my daughter. Took her away from me. Hasn't been in the church all that long, have you, Aaron? You know, we've watched it cycle. So many of you here have stayed faithful to the Lord. But we just started to think in the short time that Aaron's been married to Beth. We would have had to have built another church or expanded this church in order to house all the people Am I right, Mike? How long have you been with me, brother? Almost 32 years. Jim can say this, I know. Phil can say this, and Doug and others. Duncan's there. I don't know how many it's been, but over those years, it's been in the hundreds. But Barna research has shown that nearly 6 in 10, 59% of young people who grow up in Christian churches end up walking away from their faith. We're not talking about walking away from the church. We're talking about young people raised in churches just like ours abandoning their faith. 6 in 10. The study also shows that the unchurched segment of millennials has increased in the past 10 years from 44% to 52%, a reflection of the large cultural trend away from church going among the nation's younger population. Millennials, those who just stood before you, which weren't you glad we had that many in our church? That was at least a third or more. (laughs) But millennials are rethinking most of the institutions that arbitrate life, from marriage. Have we seen that? From marriage to education, to employment, to government, and yes, even the church. They have grown up in a culture among peers who are resistant to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Millennials often describe church, for instance, as out of touch with the times, not relevant, or say that attending worship service feels like a boring duty. Dr. Neil Weaver, who's a professor at Louisiana Baptist University made this statement, please listen to this. We are training the last generation of pastors before the rapture. If we do not find a way to keep our youth in church and in fellowship with other believers, the last generation will be sparse indeed. How many have ever heard the phrase, user-friendly? That phrase was coined as computers came out and were so complicated. I still think they're complicated. I don't even know how to use my cell phone. Are you with me there? I would say times were much better off when we didn't have computers and cell phones just I know the necessity of the day in which we live, I understand. But user-friendly, do you know that that phrase has now been taken and applied to the church? We have churches now that call themselves and consider themselves user-friendly. User-friendly churches. Why? Because they are trying to cater to the millennial generation, as was said, if we do not find a way to keep them in church. This last generation will be sparse indeed. And so to keep those millennials in church, we're trying to make our churches user-friendly. Just like the software that was developed to make your navigating through your computer and the internet easier. One article I read had to do with the millennials in church said this this was the, this was what they had come up with of how we're going to keep our millennials in church give them coffee and donuts upon entering church i kind of thought that was a good idea i mean i said it's going to be a good article here. i couldn't find it anywhere in here but this Give them coffee and donuts upon entering the church. Give them the music they want. Give them the entertainment they enjoy. Give them devotional messages that make them feel good about themselves. Give them the ministries that meet their needs and wants. Make the church seeker sensitive and seeker friendly. whatever that means don't offend them don't offend them and don't preach on sin or the need of repentance just give them what they want and you might keep them coming that was an article on church growth and ministry That intrigued me, so I started to do a little bit more study as to what's out there. And here are some advertisements that I found from some of those user-friendly, seeker-sensitive, what was the other one, seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly, advertisements. There's no hellfire and brimstone preaching here, just practical, witty messages. Next one. Services at our church have an informal feeling. You won't hear people threatened with hell or referred to as sinners. The goal is to make you feel welcome and not drive you away. Another advertisement. As with all clergymen, our pastor answers to God. I thought, no, this is going to be a good one. He always slips him in at the end. And even then he doesn't get too heavy. There's no ranting, there's no raving, there's no fire, there's no brimstone. He doesn't even use the H word. We call it here the light gospel. It has the same salvation message as the old time religion but with a whole lot less guilt. You don't think the church has been influenced by the me generation? Here's another one. The sermons here are relevant, they're upbeat, and best of all, they're short. (laughs) (laughs) Melissa, stop laughing over there. (laughs) It's a salvationist message But the idea is not so much being saved from sin and the fires of hell, rather it is being saved from a meaningless and aimless life. And Then I came across this, rules for the user-friendly church. Number one, be clever. And Then they go on to explain what it means to be clever, it just means to be dishonest. You appear to be one way, but be clever deceive people be clever be informal be entertaining be positive be brief (coughs) okay sermon's over for today (laughs) be friendly i agree with that one never ever ever use the h word Do you know, even now, in Child Evangelism Fellowship, a great organization for so many years, you cannot mention the word hell. I guess this all comes back to the me, me, me generation. Who is your focus on? Is your focus on yourself, or is your focus on the Lord and is it on others? I think we need to grapple with that question right now today, right here. This is it. Philippians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. If therefore there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels of mercy, fulfill you my joy that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others. Totally contrary to the me, me, me philosophy. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Look not every man upon his own things, but every man also upon the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Just earlier we read the golden rule. How many of you know what the golden rule is? (coughs) Every hand should have been up. About three quarters of your hands went up, every single hand should go up. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. That great quote by the Lord Jesus has all but gone out the window today. There was a time when our children were taught the golden rule in school. now they're taught about sodomy there used to be a time when the golden rule was taught not only in school but it was also taught in our homes everyone knew the golden rule and sought to live by it It guided men and women as they went to work it guided our public officials I think they need more of the golden rule in Washington, don't you? Could you think of anything that would more profoundly affect our culture than getting back to the golden rule? Getting away from that, where'd it go? Where is it? Getting away from this. And getting back to this. The statement, doing to others as you would have others doing to you, really connects us back with Old Testament teaching as well. Leviticus 19, verse 18 says, Love thy neighbor, what? Again, repeated in the teachings of Jesus. Whether or not we choose to apply the golden rule will profoundly affect our relationship with others and with God. For with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured unto you again. It's kind of like you sow it, you what? What? Our modern society has become so humanistic. Remember the first time years ago I picked up a Humanist Manifesto. And I read through the Humanist Manifesto. For years I had it in my office. Now you can just Google it up, it's online. But they have in there what's called the the goal of the humanist is self-eculation. Self is first. This humanistic philosophy is made its way into every one of our institutions. It has taken over public education. That's a fact. It's an unarguable fact. By the way, the Supreme Court said that humanism is a religion. It's taken over our institutions. Looking out for self, self self-interest, good old number one. I really struggled with the Lord as to whether or not to read this, because it is going to take some time, but I really feel the Lord would have us to, I mean, I hate getting away from this book and getting on to all this ridiculous gobbledygook, but I think we really need to understand what in the world is going on out here and why we're in the generation that we're in. This is an article written by a lady by the name of Dr. Tanza Chubb. She's a very popular writer. She writes for a lot of the most popular magazines in America right now. She's a contributing writer to the Huffington Post. She holds seminars and conferences uh, out in Los Angeles, weekend retreats, and it's it's all about self-worth. She's written a number of books, two of them I'll mention called the message of the soul the power of positive energy and I share this today only to show you how our educational system has been affected by it how government has been affected by it and that's why we're in the mess that we're in in such a divided country and how the church has been affected by all this the seeker friendly user friendly contemporary church. She has 29 ways to improve your self-worth, and I'm going to read all of them to you. I will read the majority of them. Know that you are beautiful. I guess when I looked at that picture of me holding that salmon up there, I ought to have said, you are such a beautiful old man. (laughs) Know that you are beautiful. Know that your body was made the way it was in order to help you fulfill your purpose and your desire in life. My desire in life would be like 75 pounds thinner. (laughs) Being able to walk up and down the river without panting. Drag a deer out of the woods without wheezing. Hello, are you with me there? All the strength you need to lead your life in a direction that feels good, this feel-good thing, is within you. You don't need to acquire or learn anything. It's all inside you. Ooh. It's all inside you you are amazing. You're a purposeful human being and you deserve to have all the happiness in the world. There's nothing you can't achieve when you put your mind to it. That is such a lie. (laughs) Isn't it? That is such a lie. Get out of your own way and start taking action in the direction that feels good to you. Love yourself. Love yourself enough to say no. To things and others that no longer serve you in your interest. You don't owe anybody anything. I want you to say I want you to understand something. I owe everybody everything. <laughs> Simply do what your heart is telling you to do. Stupid. Do what your heart is telling you to people pay to go to this conference. You're follow your dreams and your desires. Don't hold back. You are so unbelievably worthy of a beautiful, abundant, and prosperous life. You just need to find these things within you first. Do not focus on your perceived flaws. You are unbelievably powerful. If you could catch a glimpse of your own power, you would never settle for anything less than what you are worth. You are worth whatever you believe you are worth. Isn't that great? You want to be worth two million dollars? You don't? You're supposed to say yes, play along with me. You can only be a doormat for others if you lie down. Don't let people walk all over you and push you around. Stand up for your rights. You're not defined by what other people think of you. You're defined by what you think about yourself. When you love yourself and know you are worthy, the universe... I right, Slow down, listen to this. When you love yourself and know you are worthy, the universe will respond in kind and will deliver back to you more than you could ever imagine. Self-worth is about saying yes when you want to and saying no when you want to. Self-worth is about pursuing the things that will bring you pleasure. Stop thinking so much about others. Start thinking about yourself. What, does that go like directly contrary to Scripture? Your self-worth can be measured by how much you truly love yourself. When you love yourself, you automatically become worthy of yourself. Some days you may feel worthy and other days you may not. That's okay as long as you keep remembering to love yourself and seek after the things in your life that make you happy. You are worthy of a good job. You are worthy of great relationships. You are worthy of a life of happiness and joy and fulfillment. You know what I'm worthy of? I'm worthy of the H word. You don't need to carry around any pains from the past or burdens on your shoulders. You are not on this earth to doubt yourself. When you take a step in the direction of self-worth and fulfillment, the entire universe will rush to support you. You are worthy of abundance. That's where we get the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel in our churches. You are worthy of abundance. You are worthy of happiness. You are worthy of a fantastic life. The only person you need to convince of this is yourself. All right, this this is number 29. I didn't read them all. This is number 29. You are a walking miracle. Repeat that to yourself daily. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. I am a miracle. Well, some of you are miracles here. <laughs> it doesn't matter what you think of me or what the world thinks of me, the universe is on my side. And I know that I meant to be a miracle. Can I tell you something? You know, I didn't read all 29, there's 29 lies. This was just mentioned in Sunday school today. Um, What about Solomon? You know what, he would have been there at one of these seminars. He walked away from his faith. And when you walk away from your faith, you're going to embrace something. So Solomon walks away from his faith, he embraces almost every one of these lies that we have just mentioned right here, and this is what he says in his diary, vanity, vanity, it was all vanity, I hated my life. He said, whatsoever my heart desired, I kept not myself from it, and yet it was nothing but vanity. Vanity. I believe that one of the major barriers to so many Christians not being filled with the Holy Spirit is they're completely filled with SELF. The millennial generation has affected their thinking. How can you be filled with God's Spirit and be filled with self at the same time? There has to be an emptying of ourselves. There needs to be a brokenness. And only then will God fill us with love, joy, and peace. It's not by being your own boss. It's not by pursuing the things that you think will make you happy. Living a life focused on self is as carnal as you get. Even the Apostle Paul struggled with this. He said, I am carnal, sold unto sin. Guess what? I'm carnal too. And the natural way that I would go in life is not the way God would have me to go. Philippians 2.21 says it this way, and I'm, I'm hurrying here. It said, for all, for all, for all, listen, unless we change our perspective on life, we are all going to end up serving ourselves we got to change. That whole carnal thinking has got to change. For all seek their own. Everyone seeks their own personal profit, their own personal interest, and their own personal desires, and not the things which are of Jesus Christ. That's what's true about you, and that's what's true about me. Think about all the people, think about all the people that you know who are living a selfish and self-centered life. Remember last Sunday I said, you know, some of you, my dad used to say, look like you're sucking on sour persimmons, because I get to see you from the front. But you see those people, and I I see it. I know who who the people are of our church who are stuck on themselves. I know who you are. And you know what? It is reflected in your face every Sunday that you're in church. People who are selfish and self-centered, they're all unhappy. That's why they keep trying to fill their lives with Things that will make them happy. Because they're always unhappy. Yeah, I see your faces. Some of you carry around continually. The joy of the Lord. And what a blessing you are. It's pretty hard to hide what's on the inside. So I did a little exercise here. And I thought, you know what? That's what. Dr. Chubby said was a chub, excuse me. I don't know whether she's chubby or not, I don't know. But that's the 29 things she said will make you happy. God says there's only seven. And these are the seven things God said will make you happy. I have all the verses here if you want them after I'll give them to you. God said, be content with such things as you have and you'll be happy. Be generous and not selfish and you'll be happy. Honor your father and mother, you'll be happy. Fear the Lord and you'll be happy. Live in obedience to God, you'll be happy. Trust in the Lord and you'll be happy. Serve others and not yourself and you'll be happy. You know, if you live your life for yourself, I want you to think it this way. You become the boss and you also become the servant. Those are opposed to each other, but you're trying to obey the boss and you're trying which is yourself and you're trying to serve the flesh which is never satisfied and what a miserable state to be in having a boss that you can never fulfill and please and having a flesh that's always trying to please the boss The Bible says hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of men are never satisfied. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase, this also is vanity. And he shall snatch on the right hand and still be hungry. He shall eat on the left hand, but he shall not be satisfied. They shall every man eat their own arm. Grabbing, grabbing, grabbing. No, 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 no. <clears throat> no satisfaction. They played the harlot, <clears throat> yet they could not be satisfied. That's where the me, me, me generation is going to take you. Notice how he said the me, what, me, Me. what, me, Me. and you can keep on going, can not you? Me, 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 me. Can never be satisfied. Don't you think it's time to change our boss? Won't you love to fire your boss? Huh? Would you love to fire your boss? There's some of you today. You need to fire your boss. And you need to get a new one. Amen. Seek ye first. Not self. Seek ye first. The kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Last verse, Acts 20, verse 40, and with many other words, I would like to keep on going with this, but I won't. With many other words did he testify and exhort saying, save yourself from this untoward generation, this perverted, twisted, mixed up generation, it's time to get a new boss. You know, maybe you're here today and you've never made Jesus your boss. The Bible calls him master. You've never bowed your knee and you've never surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus. I would strongly encourage you to come to this altar today. Amen, church. And to bow your knee and say, Lord Jesus, I confess my sin. I realize you died on the cross, were buried, and rose again to save my wretched soul. And today I acknowledge you as my Savior and my boss. Come into my life. Lead me and guide me. Maybe there's some of you here. How many of you here have prayed that prayer some time in your life and have trusted Christ as your Savior? Can I see your hand? All right. Don't you think some of the easiest thing to do as a Christian is to set him aside and just go on living this life for yourself? I just know this. There's a lot of things that need to change in my life. I don't think I'm alone here today. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Thirty-nine, honey. The stand. Every head bowed. Every eye closed.
0: You have been listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this message was a blessing and encouragement to you.